0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So the first thing you may notice is that I am not, in fact, Father Martin. Um, he's not feeling well this morning, and so uh, we would appreciate your prayers for him that he might be well soon. Uh, you're sloughing it with me instead. Uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, web comics is from the website XKCD, which is drawn by someone named Randall Monroe, uh, and the The comic's entitled, Duty Calls. Uh, I won't do violence to the medium and suggest that I can sort of perfectly replicate it with words, but to give you the gist, it's a single frame with someone at a computer, and the person at the computer will not go to bed. The answer is simple, because someone is wrong on the Internet. And a subtitle reads, What do you want me to do, leave? Then they'll keep being wrong. I find it's probably too apt to describe my own life. This week's been a week for plenty of people to assert just how right they are. In the wake of a significant political foible with health care, Democrats were quick to talk about just how right they were when passing the Affordable Care Act in 2010. Various Republicans were quick to talk about how right they were in either the amendments they offered or their rejection of the bill that never made it to the vote. The president was right about how he never promised to pass the thing anyways, so it wasn't a failure, and journalists were right They wrote these unending series of articles on why this particular political mishap was absolutely bound to happen, and they knew it ahead of time, and they are right. Just last November, before the election, a lot of people were very determined to shout in confidence how right they were at predicting the outcome of that Tuesday, and a lot of them had to write very uncomfortable pieces the next day. We humans seem to have a need to be right, Not just to be right, but to be known to be right. To fight and bicker and argue and then win. To have an opinion and then to have our opinion vindicated by the facts. There are few things that compare to the sweet, sweet sound of the phrase from a loved one or a friend. You were right. Mm, It just feels so good to hear it. The Psalms talk about it like oil running down Aaron's beard. (laughs) The question that I think we have to face in our text this morning, particularly in John's gospel, is this, what is the cost of being right, and is there a potential, maybe that there's a higher good that we should pursue instead? This Lent, I've been confronted with my own desire to be right and to be known as right instead of, and often at the cost of, being good. The story in John is one that we're probably relatively familiar with of the man who was born blind. The story begins, Jesus passes by, and the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why is he blind? The question seems at its face not to be uncalled for. There must be a reason why this person is in the situation that they're in, so let's talk about how it happened. Let's figure this out. The question, though, turns a person into an object lesson an opportunity to learn a theological truth or, maybe more likely, to suggest a theological truth and be proven right by the rabbi. It reduces the image of God in the person across from them into a theological widget to be handled and examined, turned around. Now, Jesus doesn't get bogged down into the theological debate of the poor man. Jesus is, of course, right, but his rightness flows from and is tied to his goodness. And so he says, It's not the man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he talks about doing the works of light, that while Jesus is in the world, there is work to be done, good things to do. And then he heals the man, not because Jesus is right, although, of course, he is, but because Jesus is good, because Jesus heals. He is a healer. He heals during the week. He heals on the Sabbath. Jesus heals because he is good. But there are other people who wanted to be right in this story. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, and so the Pharisees begin interrogating to find out more. They call the now formerly blind man in to question him. He tells a story as simply as it happened, and then they start arguing among themselves because a healing from God that took place on the Sabbath is a contradiction in terms as far as they are concerned. These things cannot both be true, and so one of these things must be false. When faced with a simple, good, and obviously good act that didn't fit into their paradigm, they fought tooth and nail to maintain their status quo, to keep their perspective alive. They had a system, and for them it's a working system. It's airtight. All the pieces fit nicely, and it gives them control and understanding of the world. It doesn't matter that the additional requirements that the Pharisees put on the law were unbearable to the average person or that it often stood in direct violation of the law's intent. They had crafted a perfect theological system that they wanted to keep on holding on to. They were very interested in maintaining it. Now, when you defy someone who is convinced that they are right, you'll often get a backlash. No one wants to hear that they are wrong, because being right is powerful and vindicating, or at least it feels that way. Being wrong is weak and humiliating especially being wrong in public or being wrong if you're a prominent figure. The Pharisees had already agreed to throw out anyone out of the synagogue if they confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, because, of course, that would make them wrong. This would have isolated someone from religious and social and civic society. To be tossed out of the synagogue was more than excommunication. You were left out. And so when the man's parents are interrogated by the Pharisees, they confirm his blindness but they would not identify Jesus as the healer. It was not worth it for them to try and identify Jesus as the man who healed their son, because that would have risked a great deal for them. The formerly blind man, on the other hand, doesn't really care about having a right opinion about Jesus. When asked about what he thought of Jesus, he at first says that he's a prophet, not in, you know, controversial opinion. Lots of people consider Jesus to be a prophet or a rabbi. But then they ask him a second time, and he says, Look, I don't know what you want me to say. I was blind, and now I'm seeing things. The Pharisees grill him some more, and he just has this savage response. I love it. He says, I already told you, and you're not listening. Do you want to become his disciples as well? And I have no idea if the blind man is sort of ignorant of the theological argument or if he's just very clever, but it's this beautiful moment, and the Pharisees just lash out at him afterwards. But the blind man doesn't particularly care about these conceptual problems of how healing and Sabbath can work together. Imagine being healed of your blindness that you've had since birth and then sitting in front of a group of people who are trying to parse out exactly how it happened and whether or not the person who healed you had done it the right way. It's simply a non-issue for you. This group says miraculous healings don't come from sinners, but they want to label your healer as a sinner. And this line of questioning is just nonsensical to the blind man. He comes in front of them, seemingly totally nonplussed. Maybe he'll get thrown out of the synagogue. Why does he care? He used to be a blind beggar, and now he can see. What does it matter what Jesus' status is? What happened to him was so clearly good that no amount of debate could change that. But the Pharisees are so sure of their rightness. And it's that very arrogance that makes them guilty neither right nor good. The chapter ends with Jesus speaking poetically about those who are blind and those who are not. And when the Pharisees ask if Jesus is referring to them, which of course he is, he turns and says, if they had been blind, there would have been no guilt. But because they presume to see, because they assert that they are right, they'll be judged. It's their dogged attachment to that rightness that causes them to be wrong and bad. But before we're too harsh on the Pharisees or even the disciples for starting this whole mess with their theological question in the first place, I think we need to ask ourselves, how often do we speak of human beings created in the image of God as if they are the means by which we show that we are right, that we have a handle on how the world works, that our conceptual framework is the conceptual framework. When faced with calamity or tragedy or despair, How often is our first response to make sure that we have the right box to put this tragedy in, to understand the situation, instead of asking God for mercy? A quick test. The next time there's a high-profile shooting in our country, and it's pretty sad that I can say when and not if, see if your first response, or the response of journalists, if you want to maybe keep a little distance and not make this too personal, See, the first response is to find all the facts about the types of guns that were used, whether it was a no-gun zone, someone's immigration status, or mental illness, or race. If you want to find out those things to make sure that it wasn't an incident that somehow challenges what you think should be happening, or how you understand the world. We chase all of that before we pray to the God who made the people whose lives were taken. The God who made people in his image whose lives were lost, And our first response is, well, I hope that he is or is not a refugee so that I can be right about my opinion on refugees. Maybe the frequency of tragedy has made us callous and causes us to skip over grief and loss, and instead we go right to the ideological work. But let's not mistake that callousness and cynicism for anything other than the vice that it is. As I read these texts to prepare for this sermon, This is the contrast I saw between being good and being right. You can spend a great deal of time worrying about being right over being good and, like the Pharisees, actually accomplish neither. And I don't think being right has ever been the point in the first place. Think about Micah saying, God has shown you what he wants of you, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Think about Paul's lists of the fruit of the Spirit, the things that show that God is working in our lives, the means by which God is going to heal the world. I think the fruit of the Spirit and the tree of life are not separate metaphors. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I just don't find being right anywhere on that list. Nowhere are we, are we commanded to be more right, to have better facts, to have better opinions. I don't want to call us to disengage from theological pursuits or to give up the life of the mind or even to stop having opinions, even strong opinions on current events. None of us would look back to anybody in, in Germany in the 1930s and say, who cares about the tenets of, of national socialism? Are you being kind to your neighbor? There are big issues. There are big systemic issues that we have to wrestle with. And as the church, perhaps we even have the opportunity to engage them. But being good means more than that. That can't be our first calling. Our first calling can't simply be to be right. In a world that is dead set on figuring out who is right, who knew what was going to happen ahead of time, who understands economics better, and who has the best theory on poverty, we must pursue goodness and allow goodness, allow virtue, allow the fruits of the Spirit to inform and infuse our ideas, not just how we form them, but how we communicate them as well. Goodness is humble and puts other people first. Goodness looks at the blind man as a person with a story and as a potential place for God to be glorified rather than reducing him to a thought experiment on the effects of sin. In fact, how many times have we read this passage and taken the disciples' bait right off the bat? We right away say, oh, good, this is a passage that tells us that sin doesn't necessarily cause people to be born blind. And our first response to this miraculous healing is, oh, good, this teaches us something about how sin works, and now I can have another cog in my machine. We take the disciples and the Pharisees' bait right off the bat instead of looking to Jesus, who cares about healing, or the blind man, who is rejoicing at being healed. Goodness sees poverty as people in need, not just a drain on the economy or a social problem. As people. Goodness sees the person with the wrong opinion on the Internet as a person instead of an opinion. How often do we, I treat people that I love and care about as simply a thing to knock down, as a potential monkey wrench in my well-oiled machine? And if I can't be good and loving to people that I know in reality who cares what I'm arguing about people in the abstract? This doesn't require razor-sharp insights. We just have to love people just that, in reality instead of in the abstract. All of our well-intended plans and ideas for how government should or should not be involved in things or how our church should be involved or not be involved in things, who cares if we have a great idea about how a system works if we can't even love the real people that are in our lives? The best example of all of this is, of course, Jesus himself, who, even though he was right and would be vindicated and found to be right on Easter morning, was willing to be publicly portrayed as wrong for the sake of the world, for the good of the world. How often have you been willing, have I been willing, to lose the argument so that I can love the person on the other side instead? If I'm honest, it's pretty rare. And so as we finish our 40-day walk in Lent, preparing ourselves for the Easter feast, a journey meant to emulate Jesus' own time in the wilderness, preparing for his ministry, may we find ourselves with the mind of Christ, pursuing goodness rather than rightness, and maybe at the end we might find ourselves with both. Amen.